Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and um, I'm joined here in the studio with um, brother Nuruddin, Nuruddin Jangir. Uh, how are you doing this morning, brother? Assalamu alaikum wa peace be upon you. <coughs> yeah, alhamdulillah, I'm doing good and uh, just looking forward to being back on the show again. How have you been? How's your yeah, alhamdulillah, new, new, new Year's resolutions? <laughs> new Year's resolution is to, you know, lose weight and, uh, <laughs> you know, the standard, uh, one. St- the standard one. And hopefully, you know, um, gain more spirituality, get back on the right path. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that I've strayed from it, but, you know, we can always improve. Absolutely. Always. There's no, there's always room for improvement. <clears throat> so we'll just be getting straight into things, uh, as always. You know, we discuss the weather and the news, and then we'll be getting into our topics of the morning. We do have some interesting topics for you guys today. We will be discussing, um, for our first segment, we'll be discussing the Israel-Gaza uh, war, that there's been unexpected global consequences. And then we will be discussing for our second segments that in a time of crisis around the world, um, there is uh, international mind-body wellness. That is the topic at hand that we will be discussing. So um, what is happening around in the world? Um, I think one of the big stories that we are seeing in the in the news today yes. and from yesterday as well is the... Well, one of the two is that the Israel successfully managed to assassinate one of the deputy leaders of, of yes. Hamas. Um, I mean, even the the Guardian has described uh, what happened as an audacious attack by Israel, which threatens a significant and dangerous escalation of the war. Hmm. It says that it, al- it is also likely to complicate negotiations about pause in fighting and the release of hostages in Gaza. Uh, the Times also you know, goes with this headline as well and says that Al-Aruri's death will come as a blow to Hamas and has left Hezbollah facing a dilemma yes. over its response. 
Um, you know, with one of the analysts also telling the Financial Times that it's a major test for the Lebanese group. So, I mean, it is a, another big step in the history of this war that is ongoing. Yes. And uh, only time will tell um, what direction we're going to go in now yes. and, you know, how this will affect what, what, what happens in future. And it's clear that a lot of analysts also saying that it's going to affect, you know, the hostage situation, Definitely. how long the war is going to go on for, um, if there will be any more ce- any, any ceasefire at all or any humanitarian pauses anymore because of this. Yes. Um, you because can only, IDF has said uh, they will be carrying on the, with the yeah, war. Yeah, throughout the year. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, but even with that, and I think it's probably killed the chances of um, humanitarian pauses as well. Hamas are less likely yes. to um, accept that. I mean, more we, we're seeing more and more countries get involved, right? Yeah. Um, with what was happening as well, and this morning on the way here, I was listening to the LBC radio, so they had a, they were discussing this as well. Yeah. Um, about uh, Israel, you know, involving Lebanon basically into everything, uh, and um, they had a caller call in from Tel Aviv, from Israel, and um, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, so I'm not going to mention what, what, what her profession was, but she was saying um, she has done a lot of research on this, and uh, you know, Israel doesn't really want to uh, involve uh, Lebanon or anyone else. They don't even want the war with Hamas. But you know, it it is it's just how things are. It's because escalating. Of what's, what's happening? It's going to escalate as yes. long as they continue to, <clears throat> um, you know, continue their onslaughts on the on the yeah. people of Gaza. The people of Lebanon and even Iran and stuff, you yes. can see that they they are backing Hamas and they're backing uh, you know the people of Palestine mm. and and they've they've openly claimed that and it will they, continue as long as yeah, you continue they to. Kept on, they kept on. They were men- mentioning the seventh seventh uh, October, October attack. October, yes, yeah. That's you know that's just the, like one thing that just keeps on me- being being mentioned. You know, it was a uh, horrendous act that was committed by Hamas. Absolutely. You know what happened that day was terrible. But you need to look at the context of things, what happened before. We mentioned this many times as well, what's happened before, what's happened after, uh, what's carried on after, and what they've done in Gaza, what they're doing in West Bank as well, in the occupied West Bank territory. But um, I mean, it's um, it's a dangerous set of circumstances, yeah. which uh, His Holiness, as a Mirza Masrahmat, the <coughs> worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, may his helper, has been warning us about. Yeah, And where the world is only worried about you know, just a regional spill, a spillover into the region hmm. um, of this war. Indeed. His Holiness has been saying, he's been seeing with a much, uh, much more, you can say, vast sight hmm. that he's had from the beginning and speaking about how it's going to spill to the whole world, spill over yes. to that. And it's not something which we can um, underestimate because the more hmm. you see these other countries getting involved, the more um, you'll, you'll have... You know the <clears throat> chance of the the major powers getting involved, and we've seen it already with the uh, with America. Yes. Um, you know, also um, gunning down the the attempt on their on, on one of their ships, I believe it was um, yes. the the Houthis. Yes. Um, and now I think even um, I've heard, or I've read that even England might also be the UK might also start getting getting involved in this Stepped as well. In, uh, stepping so in because exactly. they they were there's also a headline on on the BBC News that you know. Uh, because of what's happening in the Red Sea, yeah. our oil prices might get affected again and they might be on the rise. So it's vested interests. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Um, but I mean, <clears throat> again, it's all it's all happening to the letter, to what um, His Holiness has been telling us and Definitely. warning us about. And the world is just not paying heed and continues to just let things happen as um, and and unfold in front of our very eyes and we just close our eyes to it unless you know, any vested interests are involved. So... Yes. 
Um, so anyway, the, even the Daily Telegraph has, has mentioned how Hezbollah poses even poten- a potentially greater threat to Israel than Hamas. Um, but it re- reports that Western intelligence officials believe Hezbollah doesn't want to provoke a wide regional war. Yes. That would be difficult for it to sustain. Um, what does the Daily, Te- Daily Express go with this? It echoes the words of the Conservative MP in labelling the six-day strike by junior doctors starting this morning as an act of cruelty. This is the largest... Um, largest uh, junior, young, doctor, uh, junior strike. doctor strike yeah. that's happening, yes. Um, well, so, yeah, and even the Sun. The Sun leads with the... Um, and urges what it calls <coughs> a sensible and moderate young medics to do their duty and defy their union. Um, as you can see, like these these strikes do have a big, play a big role and a big impact have a big impact on the you know on the on the welfare of those who you can say the those who are sick and those who are in need of medical attention. Yes. Um, but at the same time, the government needs to step up and play <coughs> their role and and grant the the rights of the of these doctors as well, because as we all know. Their pay is not going up in at the same rate as the inflation yes. uh, and the interest and everything. So, uh, you know, they're being left behind. Of course, they they definitely, want to do definitely. something, but I mean, you know, one of the main like uh, I wouldn't say one of the main goals, but you know, one of the uh, hallmarks or one of the big steps in life is buying your own house. Mm. I would say, especially in the real world, in in the worldly world, basically, mm. right? And um, you know these the, the the new generation. None of them are not not none of them, but majority of them are not anywhere near on the steps to achieving that, because of the you can look at the mortgage rates, you can look at the house prices. They're just soaring everywhere. Absolutely. So they will never they they will um, you know majority of uh, young of the young generation won't have enough savings to to go down that path. I mean it's um, <coughs> it's a situation which is getting worse and worse to be honest. And yes. And the thing is, obviously the government will say COVID played a big role in this as well. And, big, and the Ukraine and... The Ukraine, um, Russia war. Russia, Russian war. And now look at this war going on as well. Mm. And, you know... Now this is... look. It's looking like it's going to play a role. They're underestimating the, the impact it can have on the world. Yes. And they think it's just something that's going to stay within that region. But um, I don't believe that that is the mm. case. And we will regret some of the decisions. I believe the government will regret some of the decisions it's made in supporting... Um, the defense is Israel's defense. Of course, they have a right to defend, but yes. this is not defense. I don't believe. Um, and you know, with the oil, oil prices rising, you know, yeah. we understand uh, what is going on. But BP and Shell, you know, two of the biggest major oil companies, they came forward and uh, at the end of COVID, they told us they made record profits, <laughs> right, in the hundreds of billions. They 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 hit us at our worst. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> like we're dying, bro. Let's increase yeah. the prices for you guys as well. <laughs> but still, there was no you know fuel uh, tax duty properly put on placed on them where they should be properly properly taxed um, in accordance to their profits. Uh, in other news, uh, there is um, one of the major headlines is the the earthquake in Japan. There's been fires and a quake, uh, an earthquake has hit Japan yeah. in the Noto Peninsula in central Japan. It was <clears throat> the epicenter of the earthquake was uh, 7.6 on the Richter scale, and um, you know there's been many many people they've lost their ha- homes. Three thousand rescuers were trying to reach parts of the Noto Peninsula. Yeah, um, and um, 90% of the homes in the city have been completely or nearly completely destroyed, said the said the local mayor over there. It's terrifying news. Also in Japan as well, it's just staying in the in the region. Hmm. It's also the terrible news of the um, the Japanese airlines flight engulfed in flames on a runway in Tokyo. Yeah. yeah. 
but thankfully all 379 passengers hmm. and the crew on board were able to um, escape um, on board the plane and um, although five of the of the six crew on the Coast Guard plane it collided with were killed so yes. this is the the other plane that it collided with five of them were unfortunately unfortunately lost their lives hmm. um, and it says that the Japan Airlines flight uh, 516 landed shortly before six o'clock local time uh, catching fire shortly after landing so it's a uh, imagine just being ab- aboard that plane where your plane's on fire that's such a shame and right. uh, but it's, it's a miracle how they how they managed to mm. escape as well with all their lives intact uh, unfortunately the other plane as we said five of the of the six on board that plane were you know yes did lose their lives so it's a tragedy nonetheless <coughs> so in our country in England there's yeah, been on there? Storm Hank Storm Hank, yeah. He, you know, he's it's like a storm that just came from the gym. And, uh, you know, he's very pumped. And it's just going around, you know, <laughs> d- uh, destroying trees and uh, whatnot. Even in our local area, there were a few trees that were uprooted, lots of branches that had fallen on the road. It was very, uh, very windy, right? Yeah. I I think was, at one point, you know, I was almost about to be flown away as well. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you don't need to lose weight then. <laughs> I yes. was um, I was saying like even my some some of my family members around around the Surrey area they were saying that the the winds over there were approximately eighty miles per hour. Yeah, winds uh, the windows were getting like like flapped about. Yeah, in in Exeter and Devon there the winds were eighty one miles per hour. That's that's incredible. Yeah, I was driving uh, down towards Surrey area towards. Yeah, you towards even uh, I was driving as well. I, we had. F- three passengers yeah you know one was a big hefty guy one was a normal lad myself uh, i'm i'm not too heavy so and but the car was shaking i could feel i yeah. could feel my car drifting to the yeah. right like being pushed to the right <laughs> and i'm gonna have to like hmm. fight against this wind it's storm hench more than storm hench. yeah <laughs> definitely but i mean it was it was because the, the problem is that you know with with trees hmm. you know there's a possibility of trees falling over or being uprooted and yes. there's branches which fall on the on the roads as well there's a there's a risk there's a big risk that you know people could get hurt yes. cars could get damaged um, road roads could be closed because of this and it's not the first time it's happened in these kind of storms these kind of yeah. winds as well you know um, even um, so in 2021 we were in um, Islamabad you know the headquarters of yes. the MD Muslim community in in, in this country yeah. and uh, we were um, when we were staying over there. There was like a massive windstorm there as well, and two trees fell as well. One on the main security cabin, oh, and one on uh, a cabin where a chef was staying. He was living in, you know, one of the motorhomes. Yeah. It fell on his cabin as well, and he was sleeping inside, and his leg got injured as well. Oh my goodness! Yeah, so yeah, it happened uh, before as well. It does keep on happening. There's been twelve other flood warnings in Wales as well. Fl- so, flood warnings, are yes. <laughs> More than three hundred flood warnings were placed in uh, England early on, on on Wednesday, so that's uh, last week. Hopefully, the the people there <coughs> remain safe and there's no trouble, and you know it goes away quickly. Yes. But I mean, it has has been a very wet and windy period, festive period, you can say, because we haven't really had snow down here in the south. Um, I guess the the winds and stuff have been. There, there's still a chance, you know. Um, maybe in in even in February that you know there could oh. be snowfall. I'm not looking forward to it. Let's just say, <laughs> let's just say yeah, that. the snow in in our country just it snows like you know two inches and then it just becomes black sludge, yeah, black ice, and that's it's a it's a nuisance. Exactly, right? it's a big nuisance, and and we struggle to get rid of even that. Whereas we see countries like Canada, 
Germany, Norway, or these Icelandic countries, they they thrive in the snow. Yeah, it's like, like it's, it's just it's just normal for them. But we get like two three inches, and then we just start struggling. <laughs> Roads are closed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, road closures. Even the school, school accidents, school closures. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's a strange set of situations that we're the circumstances we're living in at the moment. The cost of living crisis, the war going on. Um, you can see how people are struggling around the world. So yes. with this new year, hopefully we will we will find what's it called? We'll find peace. We'll find comfort. We'll find solutions to the situations, the different problems that the world is facing, and hopefully the world can turn towards justice. And with Inshallah, that, we will, God have, willing, yes. we will have peace. But I mean, um, well, what's the what's the weather telling us though? The weather, um, in terms of uh, so, the, what what the BBC uh, has is telling us about the weather is that um, today uh, across the UK, cloudy with showery rain and hill snowy for northern Scotland, variable cloud and heavy showers elsewhere, some thundery in the west, a less windy day but staying windy in the far south and far north, and tonight winds continuing to east tonight. And northern areas will see areas of cloud and spells of rain or showers throughout. Cloud and showers in the south will clear for the most, leaving long, clear spells. And on Thursday, tomorrow, uh, it will be dry and bright for most in the south, but the far southwest may see showers and the coastal southeast spells of rain, variable cloud and scattered showers for most in the north. And the outlook for Friday to Sunday is that rather cloudy with a few showers lingering across uh, around on Friday, mainly in coastal areas, occasional bright spells, especially in the southwest, mostly dry on Saturday and Sunday with variable cloud and showers in parts of the far north and east, trending colder through the weekend and becoming increasingly calm for most. So, you know, it, we will hopefully everything will be getting back to normal soon sooner than later just looking ahead as well i think the i'm just looking at the temperature to be honest it's yeah. uh, seven degrees well thursday is nine degrees seven degrees seven degrees, yeah it's, it's almost been you know seven nine yeah. ten eight eleven yeah. around that seven to eleven twelve the hopeful side of me is thinking we're gonna get some sun soon hopefully we'll get some sun it'll be a bit warmer but it's not that time of the year it's not that time <laughs> of the year i think you'll have to wait another two three months for that <laughs> but it's england you never know one you day, never know. One, you one, never know. one one day it might be sunny for like ten minutes, and then it'll start raining whilst the sun is still out. So, <laughs> I think there was hail. St- there was a little hailstorm the other day as well. Mm. Um, very light, but um, thank- I was I was trying to explain to my to my daughter what was going on. Yeah, and she was like scared. Like, <laughs> could these things really hurt us? I was like, when when you're out there, like these te- we only get teeny yes. little ones in in England, so there's nothing to really worry about. But in other countries, they could be like you know golf ball sizes and <laughs> stuff, and if those hit you, then. Yes. And it's a dif- different situation, but I mean, there's a, that's the weather. And, so, dear uh, listener, we'll be taking yeah. a you know we'll be taking a very short break, and then we'll be getting into our first topic of the morning. We'll be discussing the Israel and Gaza war, and that there may be unexpected global consequences. So, don't go anywhere, and do join us after a very short break. Selections from the writings of the promised Messiah, upon whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya movement in Islam. Take note how the Holy Prophet of Islam remained resolute and steadfast in his claim to prophethood from beginning to end, in the face of thousands of dangers and a multitude of enemies and threatening opponents. For years on end, 
he endures such hardship and suffering as increase from day to day, enough to make one despair of success. It is inconceivable for a man with worldly motives to have shown such prolonged endurance and steadfastness. Not only that, by putting forth his claim to prophethood, he even lost the support he had previously enjoyed. The price he had to pay for his one claim was to confront a hundred thousand contentions and invite a multitude of calamities to befall upon his head. He was exiled from his homeland, pursued with intent to murder. His home and belongings were destroyed. Several attempts on his life were made by poisoning. Those who were his well-wishers began to harbour ill for him. Friends turned into foes. For an age which seemed eternity, he braved such hardships, which are beyond a pretender and impostor to suffer through. Writings of the Promised Messiah, alayhi salam. In order to establish the oneness of God, it is of utmost importance that one should love God to one's full capacity. And this love cannot be verified unless it reaches its perfection in a practical form. It cannot be proved with lip profession. You know, if somebody just talks of sugar, he cannot find the taste of sweetness in his mouth. Or, if somebody expresses the feeling of friendship, but does not help his friend in times of need, he cannot be called a true friend. Likewise, if somebody just talks of the oneness of God, but does not love him as he should, it cannot be of any avail. What I really mean is that practice is very important along with the precept. That is why it is necessary that you should dedicate your lives in the way of God. And this is the real Islam for which I have been sent to the world. Thus, he who does not come near this fountain that God has made to flow is very unfortunate. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB via the internet 24 hours a day. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim in the name of Allah the most gracious ever merciful welcome back to the breakfast show dear listener. 
We are moving swiftly onto our first segment of the morning. Um, so the gist of the story is that many Yemenis fear that the Houthi strikes on the Red Sea vessels would lead to an Israeli or Western counterattack entangling their war-torn country in a new conflict. Uh, just to give you a little bit of uh, background on how the Houthi start, uh, you know, how everything started, how everything unfolded with the attacks of the Houthis. And uh, on October 19th, drones and missiles fired from Yemen on their way to Israel were intercepted by an American ship. Later, after taking control of the North um, Yemen, of the north of Yemen since 2015, the Houthi group announced that they were responsible for firing ballistic missiles into Israel and threatened to launch more, drawing their war-torn country into a new confrontation. The West is also reacting to multiple Houthi strikes on ships passing through the Red Sea, which the Yemeni organization claims is intended to put pressure on Israel to halt the war in Gaza, which has claimed over 20,000 tragic lives, causing immense starvation and most non-livable conditions in Palestine. A multinational marine task force of, task force of 10 fleets was launched by the US Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin on Monday with the goal of protecting the Red Sea from what he called a reckless escalation by the Houthis, such as China's uh, Costco, um, Germany, Germany's Hapag Lloyd and Denmark's Mazurk have seized shipping containers across the Red Sea. BP, the oil giant, is also doing this. Normally 7 million barrels of oil pass through the Red Sea every day. And as a result uh, of this, major uh, majority of the biggest container shipping firms worldwide, um, you know, they've they've halted the their um, ships due to the safety of their um, of their crew on board. And um, you know, it's an unanticipated uh, result of the two-month-old Hamas uh, Israel Hamas war, which is swiftly intensifying into a larger conflict with ramifications for both the region and the world. His Holiness, uh, the current head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mr. Masood Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, said on a Friday sermon at the Mubarak Mosque in Islamabad in Tilford on 13th October 2023 that even in a state of war, Islam does not permit the killing of women, children, elderly and innocent civilians. The Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, gave strict instructions against doing so. In this recent escalation of the war, Hamas made the first move and attacked Israeli citizens, leaving aside for a moment the fact that innocent people have been unjustly killed by the Israeli army. Muslims should ensure that they always, <coughs> excuse me, that they always adhere to the teachings of Islam, and these teachings are mentioned in our holy book, the Holy Quran, as well. And His Holiness further continued that where the Israeli army has carried out injustices, that is on them. And there are better and lawful ways to address that. If there is a legitimate state of war, it should be entirely limited to the respective armies and never against innocent women, children, elderly and civilians. In the respect, the action Hamas took must be condemned as well. I mean, <clears throat> it's a, in the context of what we're speaking about, I think yeah. it's important to understand how who the Houthis are because... Yemen has been actually enduring a really bloody civil war since yes. 2014. Yes. And 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 the Houthis are, are not actually the the recognized government. Yes. However, they have obtained about, you know, significant financial military support from Iran. Yes. They they actually been pitted against the internationally recognized government. Um and the majority of the deaths from this from this civil war, yes, from the nearly 10-year-old conflict has been um 
has caused manual caused malnutrition, contaminated water, inadequate inadequate medical care, um, and all this has just been worsening and worsening until there was a ceasefire finally broken in twenty twenty two. Yes, and we have to remember that currently the Houthis they rule over seventy percent of Yemen's population and roughly one third of its land. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a big. I mean that gives us some kind of context into what is going on Indeed. and how definitely you know the attacks that are happening from the Houthis is not something insignificant. They clearly they have they have backing and they have uh, um, you know they have some power there, uh, even though they're not internationally recognised as the government, they have obtained quite a lot. You can see a lot of the sees quite a lot of the land and the you know and the population over there. So these attacks which are happening on you know the the ships that are going through the, you know the Red Sea that you're talking about the, um, it's something that can continue. It's not something which is like a one-off. Yes. Um, so the world is now opening its eyes to this and saying how. You know, this is something that we need to we need to ponder over. Something that we can't just let happen. So this is why the as we as we were talking about before, we were discussing yes. how the international powers they're getting involved now. And you know, as as we heard that they they gunned down the the attempt of some of the Houthis to to to, to invade and overtake one of the one of the and ships. And you know, according, according to the U.S. government as well, they've stated that uh, in the past as well that the Houthis were characterized as a foreign terrorist organization because of. <laughs> Uh, you know, because of uh, you know that they are occupying the land in Yemen as well, and they're not the international recognized government, as you mentioned as well. But um, that the, the, the they are the only people who are essentially standing up and doing something in the Arab Arab region for uh, for Gaza. Something significant as well. Something significant not, as well. It's not like just a little stone throw here, yes, a little rocket over there. They actually affect. I mean, the, effectively, the they're just trying to stop the funding to Israel, right? Yeah. And for them to be making the money to be able to fund the war, they just want the war to end. Yeah, and I'm not saying it's um, it's, it's the it's correct it's the correct path or what what they're doing is right. Not. But we're not we're not they, condemning they, that. No. We're not we're not saying that, but they're taking they're taking some form of action. Yeah, I mean, just like just like with the strikes as well, you can see what we've been discussing. Exactly. The yes. sometimes these. You know these methods and these actions that they're taking yes. are what wakes up the governments and wakes up the, are what wake up the yes. you know the international. As powers. you know, we were discussing earlier as well that what the boycotts are happening as well. The boycotts yeah. they are affecting the companies, yeah. right? And um, even the uh, you know the peaceful protests uh, that people are going to as well in in regards to this, um, they're turning the government's attention towards the matter and uh, letting the governments know that the people. Will not just idly stand by whilst atrocities are being committed. Yeah, I'm not that we condone the the boycotting either, but there, as you can see, that there yes. have definitely been some There's been, uh, consequences. Yeah, of have course, been, have been, of you course, know, you can see the plummeting in the profits of these uh, of these major of companies, these major yeah. companies, Starbucks and uh, so on. They are losing. Uh, you know, even I, um, myself, I was just walking outside um, Zara and Starbucks, and they they were pretty much empty. Empty, yeah. Yeah. But I mean we do have our, our first guest a very well-known uh, historian Ilan Pape um and a director of the European Center for the Palestine Studies at the University of Exeter. Ilan uh, Bokurtov, welcome to the to the breakfast show. How are you doing this morning? Fine, thank you. Good to be on your show. Thank you very much. I'll I'll, go, I'll just dive straight in then Ilan because you know we want to get your take on what what's going on here. So how are you know the other mid- Middle Eastern countries Involved in the Palestine-Israel conflict, we've been discussing the, you know, in Yemen as well. But could you give us a little bit more insight into, you know, what these countries are doing in this conflict? 
Yes, well, I, I think there are three kinds of reactions of countries. There are countries who are not taking any involvement, like, uh, you know, Jordan, some of the Gulf states and so on. There are countries like Qatar and Egypt who take a very intensive, or are, are involved intensively, especially in the negotiations that uh, surround both the uh, question of a ceasefire and the question of exchange of, of prisoners. And there is, of course, the the big question, and this is Lebanon, uh, a country that, uh, well, at least not the country itself, but Hezbollah is a very important uh, component of Lebanon that is already involved in a low-key warfare with Israel on the north of the border. So you have different Arab, uh, different Arab reactions uh, to the situation. And I'm talking about the government, of course. I, I do feel that societies in the Arab world are much more in solidarity with the Palestinians on this, but we're talking about states' policies. So I think that it depends which country. We cannot sort of say there's one general, uh, you know, policy of the uh, neighboring countries. Uh, And the most uh, kind of precarious situation is, of course, in the north, especially after the assassination of Salah al-Aruri. Yesterday, uh, the uh, Secretary General of Hezbollah, Hassan Nasrallah, said already before the 7th of October, that any assassination of uh, leaders of Hamas on Lebanese soil uh, would be, uh, Israel would react, uh, Hezbollah would react, uh, and would not let it go. So, I mean, that's that's clearly a warning that's been given there, and now they've taken that action. So, what are the consequences, you know, for, for what's, what's just happened, and also of what the countries um, are doing, the involvement in this in this war? What do you think will yeah. happen next? Well, uh, this is really a big question. Yeah, I, I think it's a very good question for two reasons. One is, contrary to the Israelis' promises to their own society or their expectations maybe even, they are much more bogged down in Gaza than they expected to. And it's going to be a far longer operation and contrary probably to their belief that they will have this kind of photograph of this victory, a triumphant victory where they could say that they eliminated the Hamas, uh, will not happen. Which means there's a longer kind of war of attrition there between the Israeli army and the Palestinian guerrillas. And as lo- the longer that uh, lasts, the, the more pressure would be on Arab countries to be a bit more active. Uh, and uh, definitely Hezbollah would feel the pressure more than anyone else uh, to be involved. And that can escalate to a regional war. So I think that, you know, this kind of position that the United States and the United Kingdom has taken, let Israel, and give Israel a bit, bit more time to do what he wants to do because it's all under control, is really mistaken. I mean, they, uh, their indifference or their silence about the Israeli genocidal policies uh, are not just wrong because morally they're wrong, of course, but they're also wrong because the longer that, that lasts, the more there is a danger for a regional war, which certainly neither the United States or the United Kingdom would would want to see. That moves. I mean, that that brings us quite nicely into the next question I had because I I wanted to know what the the US or Israel will respond to what's been happening as well now with um, the Arab countries involved. Now we've seen we've seen one response already from Israel um, when they've taken down uh, Al-Aruri. Um, but the thing is, the thing is, we don't know what will happen next, and you know, it's going to just escalate. It seems. 
Um, but how will the U.S. continue? Will they continue to support what's going on, or will they put more pressure on Israel to, you know, to to bring about more pauses or to uh, bring about a complete ceasefire? What do you think will happen? Well, I, I think that uh, the longer this uh, situation continues, the more at least uh, uh, members of the Democratic Party, the President's Party, uh, would be reluctant to continue with this unconditional military support for Israel or support the, the President's position on uh, continuing uh, to refuse to pressure Israel into a ceasefire. Uh, I hope this is not just wishful thinking on my side because I really want it to happen, but I really think that's the kind of voices you hear, you're beginning to hear from the United States. Uh, but uh, it, it's, it's very difficult to predict uh, President Biden's uh, policy on this. He, react, he acted very stupidly, uh, both in the way he talked about the situation and also the decision he's taken. Now, I don't know, the man is very old, Maybe it's not even his decisions, you know. It, it could be, uh, who knows. But uh, uh, an American president who says, I'm a Zionist, uh, well, if he wants to be a Zionist uh, president, there is a World Zionist Organization, and I know that the, the last president died, and they're looking for a new president. So he can be a president of the World Zionist Organization if he wants to. But, but it's, I mean, these kinds of things are not just, you know, slips uh, of the tongue. No. These are uh, very uh, worrying uh, expressions of loyalty to Israel that would even complicate life for the American Jewish community. So I hope all these concerns will be taken into account by his own party and maybe some high members of his executive, and and they would understand that if, if, if the moral issue doesn't move them, that at least electorally and practically they should change the American position and they should not veto anymore the constant attempts by the United Nations to bring a permanent ceasefire. It's odd. I mean, it's odd to see how literally the majority of the world, if not all, are on one side, and you know, the, America is there vetoing everything that they're saying. Could it? Could it? Do they conceive yeah, that yeah. what they're doing is right, or is it, or is it just uh, out of complete blind loyalty to just to to, to Israel and the their associates there? Well, this deserves even a, a longer conversation between yeah. us because this is not something that happened today. There is a, a history of 100 years of American support, first for Zionism and then the state of Israel, uh, which uh, shows you that whenever it comes to uh, Israel, uh, you cannot kind of rely on the regular Amer or, or the usual American policy consideration of national security uh, even imperialism. When it comes to, to Israel, there's, there's a very uh, unique set of consideration that American presidents are motivated by, uh, and uh, that leads them to be in total isolation in terms of world public opinion. Uh, uh, so I, there, there's nothing new in it that the Americans would find themselves alone, actually. What is more worrying for me is the position of the British government. Uh, if uh, you know, I'm, I'm quite familiar with British policy towards the question of Palestine, uh, which was my my doctorate, and, and I wrote a few books on this. Uh, I don't remember uh, a moment like this where the um, the British policy was totally uh, copying the American one, uh, without any any attempt to to be a little bit more independent towards the question, of course, that they are very much responsible for historically. Uh, 
Um, so, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe Britain is now walking in the same direction as the Americans. I hope they're not. That's worrying. Uh, but, worrying uh, to hear you that. Know, the good news is I try to be optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> try to be optimistic. I, I think that this... We we are we are the end we are at the end of this period. I, I think that the next generation of American politicians, hopefully of British politicians, would not continue this kind of exceptionalism, this kind of immunity to, to genocidal policy, to criminal policies. I, I, I have a great belief in the next generations of, of, of people who would enter politics. Uh, both in the United States and the United Kingdom. So this generation is still very cynical uh, and totally under the pressure of the pro-Zionist lobby on those sides of the Atlantic. Uh, but I do, I do hope that there is some, some light at the end of the tunnel. So moving forward then, what steps need to be taken now for a ceasefire to take place? It seems we've get, we're going further and further away from that. What do you feel needs to happen next to, to get towards the ceasefire? That's right. Yeah. 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 Well, I I think that uh, uh, our friends in the solidarity movement in the United States doing a great job, but they probably have to double and triple their efforts. The key is the American position in the United Nations. We need a proper United Nations Security Council resolution on ceasefire. Israel would find it very difficult to uh, uh, object to the ceasefire if uh, the United States would even you know, abstain in such a, a vote, not, not necessarily support it. Uh, I, I, uh, it will happen. The, the problem is that we need to accelerate uh, uh, the road to, to, that, to that moment. And uh, also pressure in Britain on the British government is very important. I think that one of the reasons America still feels that it can kind of go along with this policy is the British support for that policy. Yes. So I think we, we, we need another big demonstration in London of one million people to make sure that people don't forget that the genocide has not stopped. In fact, it is intensified. And you can see that unless, unless Salah Haruri has been assassinated, the British media forgets about Gaza very, very quickly. Uh, so we need to make sure that it stands as the focus of people's attention and concern. I mean, that's that's absolutely true. You can see, like in the news everywhere, well, especially in Britain, you can see how this 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 story of the the war in Gaza has uh, has really sl- uh, slid down the the hierarchy of what's important right now because it's not it's not even the front pages anymore as much as um, you know other things that are happening much more mi- minor you can say as compared to this. Um, but um, as you said, we do need to keep up the pressure, keep up the intensity of you know allow uh, letting the government know that what's happening is still wrong. We we will not close our eyes to this. I mean, we saw the same thing happen with the Ukraine got, um, um, Russia war, didn't we? Where it was important for for a few months, and then after yeah. that, it just people just forgot about it and let it happen. Um, so hopefully that will not happen this time. But I just wanted to ask one final thing. You know, what's the situation now with the you know in the Israeli government as well um with the parliament over there i'm i've i've read and i've seen images of how pressure is also mounting there um how much heat is netanyahu feeling now and what do you think what do you feel will happen next there that's very a uh, good question very difficult to answer <laughs> because there are two uh, conflicting uh, that's all the two conflicting camps in the government uh, and it would be wrong to try and predict who would win. So at least I will mention them because these are the two things. There is, you can call it the Netanyahu camp. 
Uh, and this is based on uh, the uh, parties that come from the settlement in the West Bank, really the ultra-fanatic uh, 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 and fundamentalist Zionists. Yes. Uh, who believe, still believe that uh, this is God's will, you know, and uh, they could come back to Gaza and settle it and Judaize it again and expel all the Palestinians from there. Uh, one should not underestimate the power of these uh, fanatics. They are in higher positions in the government and they still have support of a large proportion of the Israeli Jewish electorate. There is a more sane, if you will, most sober uh, part in the government that probably uh, wants to to uh, have some sort of a, a victory in, in Gaza, but is willing, I suppose, to practically to settle for less and try to bring the Palestinian Authority into the picture, uh, take out the Israeli uh, forces, uh, and um, and also get rid of Netanyahu because uh, they object to Netanyahu not just because. Uh, of the Gaza uh, war, they object to him because of his alliance with these other fanatics. Well, you have to remember, before the 7th of October, the main issue in Israel was not the Palestinian Supreme issue, Court decision, wasn't but it? what yeah. they called the, uh, exactly, the, yeah. the judicial reform. Namely, they were trying to turn Israel into a Jewish theocracy uh, uh, and not just a, a liberal apartheid state that it is now. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a really clash of, of very two strong uh, camps. Uh, Netanyahu is is, a, uh, is someone who survives because all his main ideology is to be in power. He doesn't have really any other ideology. <laughs> People like that find ways to survive, you know, and they change allies if need be. Uh, so I wouldn't yet bury him as, as the next prime minister of Israel, although his popularity is as low as it has ever been since he entered uh, politics. Ilan, it's been a, been a real pleasure speaking to you, and I've, I've taken a lot of your time. So I uh, thank you very much, and you know we appreciate thank your, you your very time. Much. That's uh, fine. Thank a, you. Have a great rest of the day. Bye bye. That was Ilan. You Pape. Thank you. Thank you. Mm, bye. That was Professor Ilan Pape, uh, who's a historian and director of the European Centre for Palestine Studies at the University of Exeter. I mean, he's. Um, hmm. I did ask him quite a, a number yes. of questions in different aspects as well with regards to the war. Yes, and um, I mean it's been it's been really intriguing, and a lot of the the things he's said has given us a bit more insight into what's going to happen next, and you know, um, the you know the relation between the U.S. and Israel with the relation to the 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 Israeli government, what's going on there, yes. and also what he said was really striking to me was how the thing he fears the most is what the U.K. government, the way that they're following the same yes. footsteps as as American um, actions that they've been taking every, throughout the history that they've had with Israel yes so I mean that is something to think about I didn't really think about it the same way hmm. I've always had that disappointment that why is our government hmm. you know supporting what's going on right now and yes. not you know following you know doing what the, what's morally right and to end the suffering so the way he's, he's put it now is something that uh, really made me think it's true the, the yes. government right now are, you know they're, they're doing something which is basically in the same footsteps as, as, as America yes and that's something obviously can, you know yeah. the the powers the major powers they will do whatever is in their best uh, vested interest and that is to to support support each other and uh, support israel as well yeah unfortunately um so uh, in another you know friday sermon the head of the amdia muslim community hazrat mizam sura ahmed may Allah be his helper he 
he he he spoke about um he warned us about you know when we were speaking about earlier as well he warned us that there is a looming world war which has highlighted <clears throat> the complicity of world leaders with their unjust policies characterized uh, western media bias in the coverage of the Israel Palestine war and made an urgent call for co- uh, concerted prayers and um I was seeing this po- post as well of uh, a comparison of two New York Times articles. Yeah. Uh you must have seen it as well where they were discussing they were mentioning figures of um how many like people had been killed in Ukraine in the Ukraine and Russia war. Yeah. And there it mentioned like so and so many thousand people or hundreds of people have been killed. Right? And um in the in the current war that's going on in Israel and um uh Israel and Palestine the wording the wording was completely different that you know like tw- died, just died 22,000 people have died yeah right all of all of a sudden <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. suddenly like there there was no cause of the death yeah. they just they just died even I mean, though the f- they were innocent civilians who had been killed there's nothing new there uh, yeah. we know that the way that the the media like to And, and his holiness has spoken uh, spoken about this as well that there is a certain it's criticized by western media bias and how how they co- co- covered the Israel and Palestine war i mean even even um even the, the new york times which you're speaking about yeah they they changed the the what's it called the the headlines for the same article yes. three times in the same day um because they're not they're not acting with justice they don't know the full facts yes. and they change um you know if if they they're assuming yes and just by going by whatever um whatever if it's the idea for whoever it is speaking yes. about something they'll go by that immediately and take that as a gospel yes um and the moment that they realize that oh that was actually wrong let's change that a little bit yes um they just go ahead and do that so that's not that's not correct uh, ethics when it comes to journalism and and you know uh, israeli news reporters uh, like a few of them that i've seen with my eyes a couple of them two three they've openly spoken up uh about you know just essentially killing c- civilians in in Gaza yeah. and they're saying it, it is the right thing to do they should like and they said if it's war crimes it's, let it be war crimes yes. you know we want to get rid of all of them we want exactly. to take the whole thing exactly uh, so let it be and if they call me bigger let them call me bigger yeah. so this is th- and they're laughing about this sitting in their studios it's, it's this brazenness about you know they they know there's no consequences against them exactly. there never have been exactly uh, the, they've always been favored and they've always gotten away with whatever whatever they needed to and yes. it seems that the UN i believe that's the one of the big issues is the UN has been powerless in terms of implementation yes whatever you know you can see whatever resolutions and they do they do come with. say in another uh, place as well that yeah. you know if the world war 3 was to happen the UN yeah. would be finished Yep. and maybe another new body would emerge afterwards exactly i mean it's, it seems like it's history repeating itself with exactly. the league of nations as well which happened after yes. um earlier and um it seems like they were they were powerless to end wars that happened after and the whole point was to Definitely. one of the main reasons was to bring and world, this, world peace and to, to this veto power is just wars. it's so you know you should just ask before holding a vote you should just ask is anyone going to veto this <laughs> right then you wouldn't need to hold a vote wasting your time exactly yeah. exactly i mean even the last resolution even though it was so watered down yeah i mean what effect has it had have they had nothing you know the humanitarian pauses they actually need we've just seen the intensification of of uh i mean even the term humanitarian the pause yeah in itself is just it's i i i personally you know the the view that i had in regards to this or not even myself the the 
humanitarian pause. You yeah. know that term; it just sounds very like we'll pause the dying. Yes, and then we'll put it back we'll, on. We'll again. put it back on. <laughs> we'll just play that again. Yeah, it just <sighs> there just needs to be a ceasefire, and it just needs to be stopped. The the problem is when you when you consider a population to be inferior yes. or less deserving of yes. the same treatment as yourself, that's when the problems arise. And we've we've heard it from the mouths of people um, in Israel, how even from government officials, how yes. these are the children of darkness, and we need to basically, and they're all basically culpable for what's going on. Yes, they're, they their their view of things is that they're all being raised to to grow up and to kill Israelis, and when you look on the ground and see the the people who you know the ch- the poor children who are losing their lives, who are being losing their family members. Who are being, uh, you know, mutilated? The the limbs are being destroyed and cut off, and yes. from these attacks, you look at them and you can you and can you really look at them and say and feel in your heart that these are terrorists? Yeah, it it, it seems amazing that I anyone mean, can think that, but the reality is they do think this like that. Yes, and that's then that's that's a strange thing about it how you can see that and still have no mercy and no compassion in your heart. Yes, and even if you know a child commits a crime, he's not trialed at court, and he's not committed for that crime, right? He's yeah. a child. Uh, we do have a brief audio clip of the fourth caliph of the MDM Muslim community in regards to this, so let's listen to that one briefly. This was prophesied in the Holy Quran that twice will the Israelites be turned out of Palestine, and twice they will recapture it. And twice will they be tried, if they conducted themselves well in the sight of Allah, then they will not be punished. But if they reverted to the old follies, then they will be punished and turned out of Palestine, and Palestine would be inherited by godly people, by the righteous people. So, unless this prophecy is fulfilled in both uh, uh, in both manners, you know there are two things mentioned in this prophecy. Number one, the Jews will recapture one day in the latter days. The word latter days is wadul uh, akhara is the word used is the expression used in the Holy Quran. In the promise of the latter days. Jews will be made to return to Palestine. This is a prophecy of the Holy Quran. Nobody could alter it. After them, the land will be inherited by pious people. So, if the Muslims of the time were already pious, why should they have come to Palestine at all? That means to say that at the time when Muslims when uh, the Jews would recapture or re-enter Palestine, generally speaking, the Muslims would have been rejected by Allah as not pious. In the meantime, a pious community would be created from among them. And Jews will ultimately be made to leave Palestine in shame and in defeat. And that land would be inherited alard by the god fearing people of allah ibadus salihin ibadus salihun that is those who do good do good deeds and who are pious virtuous people 
So Ahmadiyat came to prepare that group which would ultimately inherit that land. And this phenomena went parallel side by side for a while. At one, on the one side we observe the fulfillment of the Holy Quran in the way of Jews recapturing Palestine. On the other side we see that community being prepared and being educated which would ultimately inshallah enter Baitul Muqaddas and uh, inherit it from Allah. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the Breakfast Show here on Wednesday, the 3rd of January. We've been speaking about the Israel Gaza war and the unexpected global consequences thereof. Um, I mean, in the, you know, before the break, we spoke to Ilan Pape, a very famous historian. Um, who you know gave us some good insight into what was going on there and what the steps that we need to take towards to get towards a ceasefire. Uh, but now we're going to speak with our you know with our with our next guest um, Saddam Saleh and um, Nutter. Um, you know when he does when he does join us. I mean we do have some interesting um, questions we wanted to ask with, with regards yes. to the the organisation he works for because um, the work that he does. I mean I think that's something that which um, you know our listeners will be really interested to hear about. Um, um, especially in the Middle East and region. Um, so, I mean, but before we do do that, let's um, you know remind ourselves what's been going on. Like with the, we've been speaking about you know how all the you know the Middle Eastern countries, the Arab countries, you can say how their involvement in the situation. Yes. You know what their response has been, just yesterday as well. Yes. You know with so the Israeli attack. We were speaking about the about the media, and uh, what um, how they they have a big role uh, to play. That that they play in regards to this, yeah, and you know, even during his uh, weekly Friday sermon, the the head of the worldwide Ahmadi Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masoor Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, he warned about you know a looming world war, yes, and highlighted the complicity of world leaders with unjust policies, which is exactly in line with the discussion we've had yes, today, yes, and he criticised the Western media bias on the coverage of of what, what is going on in the in in the war right now. And he's also made a constant, constantly every single week he's been making urgent calls for concerted prayers to, um, you know, to pray that this comes to an end, the suffering, and that there is justice that is established um, on both sides. It's not just it's not just uh, what's happening in 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 Gaza, but also yes. what happened to the innocent people in Israel as well. Yes. Um, but he's said that you know the rate at which the the state of war is escalating, and how the Israeli government and other major global powers are adopting certain policies it's apparent that a world war is staring us in the face yeah. it's very like a you know it's very straight to the point to the like, point but I think it's once it happens well, exactly, God forbid exactly. we'll, we'll be we'll be you know we'll be ruining our luck because yes. what, we've, what we've done is we've just let this happen when I say we I mean our, our governments and the world powers They've been, they've they've known that this this was a big a big um, there's been certain uh, sorry to just cut in there's been certain media outlets in, in our country as well that have been telling us that there may be power shortages in our country as well mm. so you should stock up on um, 
on you know canned canned stuff and you know power torches and those Russians, handheld torches yeah. where you can you know yeah. wind the the battery up and you know that's it, to think of that as a state that's basically we're heading towards being uh, a third world country that's something you would think of in a third world country yeah i mean what what we what we're seeing is um the something which has happened throughout time is that we we see suffering going on in the world somewhere we see yes. war going on and because we have not experienced that for a long time here especially my generation is that we think that it's, it can't happen to us it's not really going to affect us is it um it's happening over there so far away yes but the way that the world's become now is a global village and yes. you know we're so intertwined with what's going on everywhere we've seen how ukraine russia the war going on there affected us here in the uk and it still continues to affect us yes. with the prices soaring as well um and this is another another example of that and we're just you know we're just sheep watching watching along as it as it goes on and no one's really paying attention to it in terms of the ones who can actually make uh, big decisions to change the outcome yes but um what the government leaders of uh, today they need to realize is that um this what is happening around the world you know can no longer be hidden behind uh, these media outlets or these uh, news companies yeah. whatever news stories they put out because because of the power of social media one of the big benefits of social media is yeah. that the true story the true what is happening um truly gets put put out there and is viewed by the listener uh, viewed by the viewer as well and they can't they can't hide behind this anymore right absolutely i mean we do have online with us our uh, second guest of the morning mr sadam saleh who is a representative of anera assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah peace be upon you and welcome to the breakfast show hello thank you for hosting me uh, it's a pleasure to have you on uh, could you just tell us a little bit about your organization anera absolutely so um anera has been established over 55 years ago um starting from Palestine um uh, after the uh, 60s war um and they have been working um since the 60s in, in Palestine um uh, in, in the in Jerusalem in the West Bank in Gaza um as well in Jordan and Lebanon since the 60s we are uh, an organization a humanitarian organization that is based in Washington DC and we have um country offices in all the in Palestine and Jordan and 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 Lebanon in the Lebanon region we've been um you know responding to uh, emergency wars and conflicts and and there of course the refugee influx across the Lebanon region um uh, targeting you know uh, uh children youth women men uh with different programs in agriculture education livelihood uh but as well our biggest program is the medical donation program where we donate over uh, uh, uh over 100 million of uh market value medicine to uh, these three countries every year um anera uh, 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 uh all our staff uh, are from the countries where we are serving uh we have teams in gaza for from gaza and the west bank in jerusalem and jordan and lebanon and our us office uh, is a support office for our uh, operations uh, in the countries that i have mentioned so that's that's amazing work that your organization is doing and may god bless you for the work that your organization is doing and may allow it to carry on doing the great work um 
Moving on to the next question, how has this current state of the innocent civilians in Gaza, how has it worsened since uh, prior to the war? We, we all know that the situation in Gaza is was already, you know, by you know, statistics and, 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 and the UN and everyone knows this, which is really yes. uh, uh, an open prison if I may call it that way. Yes. The situation, the economic situation, the livelihood situation was really bad. And there have been working in Gaza for uh, tens of years. And we have uh, a, a team in Gaza since we started operations in Gaza. And we have been responding to wars all the time. But this war, this war specifically, is unprecedented. Yes. The scale, the destruction, the, uh, 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 the, uh, the, the consequences of this war um, will affect the Gazan people uh, beyond what we're seeing today in media. Yes. And would you say that uh, this war has affected uh, the, the security and the living standards of uh, nearby country, neighboring countries as well? Absolutely. I mean, I, I myself am from Jordan. Yes. I'm based right now in Egypt to coordinate aid um, to get into Gaza through Rafah. Yes. And we can we can see, for example, for countries like Egypt and Jordan that rely heavily on tourism, that this sector been damaged massively. Uh, just a few days ago, for example, the Minister of Tourism in Jordan uh, made a, a media statement that the, 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 the tourism sector will yes. let go over 15,000 young Jordanians working in the tourism sector yes. because there's no tourism. So they, just over 15,000 have been let go? Yes, in the tourism sector. Okay, okay, wow. So we're looking, we're looking into a regional consequences, and I'm sure you have seen the situation in Lebanon last yes. night. An era in Lebanon, we've been, uh, you know, uh, uh, responding to the displacement of Lebanese people from south of Lebanon because of the, of the war. And already the situation was very dire in Lebanon, the economic yes. situation, the political situation. And now with what happened in Beirut last night, we're expecting a big hit on Lebanon tourism as well. So this is, there's a lot of escalation economic uh, consequences, negative yes. consequences because of the war in a regional level. Yes. And the more the scale of this war goes beyond Gaza, the more worse it gets. Like we're seeing the Red Sea situation with cargo and shipment. We're seeing what's happening in Lebanon. Uh, it's, it, is, it, is, it is affecting the region uh, in a, an extreme negative way. Definitely, definitely. And... Um... You know, in, in in regards to the humanitarian um, aid, you know, you did speak about it briefly earlier, but um, how much, um, you know, humanitarian aid has been given to Gaza so far? And is it enough? Of course it's not enough. I mean, I'm going to start with that. Because yes. Before, before the war, just to give an example to everyone about the humanitarian aid that is getting into Gaza, before the war, um, they're used to uh, over 500 of commercial trucks yes. getting into Gaza on a daily basis. Yes. Today, 
on daily basis, we're looking at less than 100 trucks going inside Gaza. So a normal day, yes. you, Gaza, would, uh, the Israelis, the Egyptians, the Jordanians would allow over 500 trucks yes. of commercial goods entering Gaza. And that's their need. Yes. Right? Yes. So, and today we're looking at less than 100 trucks a day and considering the displacement the war effect and all of that, you know, what used to be 500, you need 1,000 a day yes. today. Yes. And, and, and so the humanitarian aid that is being delivered across borders is not enough. It does not meet even a fraction of what is needed. So just, just coming off this question, um, <laughs> what, uh, what are the obstacles that are being faced um, for, for humanitarian um, access to be given to Gaza? So it, 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 it's not it's not um, as simple as as you know we you know I'm sure you know Martin Griffith yes um, it, so there is there is you know three layers of inspection before trucks can even enter Gaza a, a growing list of rejected items so every time there's a truck with a rejected item yes that the Israelis decide that this is a rejected item so we're not gonna let in. The truck has to go back, empty, reload, and go back to uh, the three inspection layers. Um, and, and, uh, and there's another crossing point where trucks have been blocked uh, uh, by desperate, hungry communities. Yes. A destroyed commercial sector, constant bombardment. You know, we just saw in the news a few days ago, they, uh, the Israelis bombed uh, 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 the... Uh, the the uh, Karam Shalom Palestinian side. Yes. Which is a truck, uh, and, and you know, there is poor communication. There's constant communication blackout. The roads are damaged. Uh, convoys are shot at. Delay the checkpoints. Yes. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a list that, you know, like it goes on and on that, you know, you know, even shelters, the UN shelters and the informal shelters, they exceeded their full capacities. Um, aid workers, I just want you to think, even with Amira, all our staff are, are you know, displaced or, 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 you know, they have someone of their families that got killed. So even humanitarian workers inside Gaza, they've been responding for over 87 days right now, constantly trying to help. But no one is there to help them and protect them. Yes, that is unfortunately that is the state that is uh, currently happening in Gaza. So, um, you know, what can we as individuals? Obviously, you know, we can support charities, give money to charities, and support them. Uh, what can we as individuals do, and what do the governments of, uh, especially the neighbouring Muslim countries, what do you think they need to do to ensure that proper humanitarian access and humanitarian aid is given to Gaza? Absolutely. I, I, I believe uh, that we need to um, first, always, always, always speak about Gaza. Yes. Never forget. And remember the war is still on. The war in Gaza did not end. Raising awareness is key. Yes. Advocacy is important. Yes. Talking about the stories of Gazans is important. Asking our governments to pressure for
for more humanitarian aid to get in is very crucial. This is a message that we need, uh, you know, as an era, we constantly, you know, attend all these meetings in Congress and in local countries where we work. We advocate for more humanitarian aid to get in. Less than 100 trucks a day is not enough. We need hundreds, if not thousands, of aid trucks every day going in. Yes. We need to support organizations that have legitimacy, history um, in Gaza and support their, you know, their efforts in the emergency today. But let's not forget there's an early recovery coming after the war. Yes. We need to rebuild Gaza. We need to help the Gazan people to get on their feet again and, and, and go back to their normal lives. Most definitely. Most definitely. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, um, Mr. Saddam Sayale. It's been a pleasure speaking to you and thank you so much for raising awareness and uh, what your organization is doing. Great work out there as well. For now, have a uh, good day. Peace be upon you and assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi So that was Mr. Saddam Sayale of uh, the Enero organization who's been helping, you know, many. Um, Many uh, people in the West Bank and Gaza, East Jerusalem, Lebanon and Jordan as well. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I didn't realize and the points that he raised was that it's affecting uh, neighboring countries as well in a big uh, big state. When he said 15,000 young youth workers had been Jordan. let go <coughs> in Jordan, Jordan yeah. in the in the tourism sector, <coughs> Sorry. Uh, as well as um, as well as even in um in other countries as well, the neighboring countries, Egypt as well, you know, it's, uh, or even in Lebanon, someone, for example, you know, these Jordan is a very, it, it is seen as a very good holiday destination, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Because it has those sand dunes and, the, you know, the beaches and everything is there, basically. Mm. Um, it's a beautiful country. But um, someone who's seeing the state of uh, today's world... Uh, they won't want to go there, there they, They'll never want to go there. Yeah. Especially in Lebanon as well. That, you know, they might be a strike might happen near them and they don't want to put their family at risk. That's true. I so mean, it's affecting those countries because of that as well and it's leading towards becoming a regional regional war. war. War is always something which has so many detrimental effects to it. Yes. And it should only be waged if absolutely necessary but the way that this is going on is like they're dragging it out so much Definitely, it's just going to continue to affect all those around and even us around here in the UK here. We're going to feel its effects and the amount of money that we're sending there as well to you know to help them in their defense this is something which hopefully will not affect us <laughs> the way that it's uh that, it, that we're foreseeing at the moment yes. and uh, what we've been warned against but i mean the reality is that we're just continuing to repeat history yes and the injustices that prevail are going to be of the very downfall of of you know of our society and what's going on in the world and the you know the peace that we that we do have in these countries here in the west yes we're going to see hopefully not like um as again, again we should have we should be hopeful um but the way that it's going it seems like we're going to go towards a very global catastrophe definitely and the way that his holiness mentioned it as well he's saying definitely. we're facing a world war right now it's like in the, right in the face we're facing it and we're just like all right i'm just moving on carrying on carrying let's just ignore that it's the Yes, we'll just wrap this topic up yeah. with a brief quote of His Holiness Azam Zamasul Ahmed Mirla Bi's helper that we should lay great focus on our prayers, 
we should pray for the end of this oppression and strive to end it in our remits. We should pray both for the oppressed Muslims and for the establishment of a comprehensive and long-term strategy by the Muslim governments. There should be a profound pain in our hearts for Muslims to be alleviated of hardships. We believed in that the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, who despite their oppression to us, expressed in a Persian couplet that, O oh my heart, be considerate towards them, for they claim to love the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Therefore, our love for the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, demand that we pray intensely for Muslims. May Allah the Almighty grant us the ability to do so and also the Muslims and may he bestow wisdom upon the world. Amin. So dear listener, we hope you've been enjoying today's show so far. It, as um, always, it is a live and interactive show. You can call us in at any time, give us your feedback, or if you have any question, call us in at 0286877878 or tweet us at The Voice of Islam UK. We will be taking a very short break and then moving on to our second segment of the morning in Times Crisis Around the World International Mind Body Wellness Day. عن عمرو بن شعيب رضي الله عنه عن أبيه عن جده قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إن الله يحب أن يرى أثر نعمته على عبده It is narrated by Hazrat Amr bin Shuhayb رضي الله عنه from his father from his grandfather who reported the holy prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم stated indeed Allah loves to see the results of his favors upon his servant. عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم انظروا إلى من أسفل منكم ولا تنظروا إلى من هو فوقكم فهو أجدر أن لا تزدروا نعمة الله. حضرت أبو هريرة رضي الله عنه نريدس that the Holy Prophet stated, Look upon those who stand at a lower level than you, but do not look upon those who stand at a higher level than you, for this would make the favours of Allah insignificant in your eyes. Writings of the Promised Messiah In order to establish the oneness of God, it is of utmost importance that one should love God to one's full capacity. And this love cannot be verified unless it reaches its perfection in a practical form. It cannot be proved with lip profession. You know, if somebody just talks of sugar, he cannot find the taste of sweetness in his mouth. Or, if somebody expresses the feeling of friendship, but does not help his friend in times of need, he cannot be called a true friend. Likewise, If somebody just talks of the oneness of God, but does not love him as he should, it cannot be of any avail. What I really mean is that practice is very important along with the precept. That is why it is necessary that you should dedicate your lives in the way of God. And this is the real Islam for which I have been sent to the world. Thus, he who does not come near this fountain that God has made to flow is very unfortunate. Selections from the writings of the promised Messiah, upon whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya movement in Islam. I look always with wonder at this Arab prophet, whose name is Muhammad. Thousands of blessings and peace be upon him. 
how exalted his status was. One cannot perceive the ultimate limit of his station, and it is not within the scope of man to fully comprehend the depth and penetration of his ennobling qualities. Alas, due recognition has not been paid to his lofty rank. That unity which had disappeared from the world was restored by this same valiant champion. He loved God most intensely. So also his soul was being consumed in deep sympathy for mankind. That is why God, who was fully aware of the hidden excellences of his heart, exalted him above all the prophets and all the people of the past and the future and fulfilled his heart's desires in the span of his lifetime. عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم انظروا إلى من أسفل منكم ولا تنظروا إلى من هو فوقكم فهو أجدر أن لا تزدروا نعمة الله Hazrat Abu Huraira Razila Anhu narrates that the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam stated Look upon those who stand at a lower level than you but do not look upon those who stand at a higher level than you, for this would make the favours of Allah insignificant in your eyes. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB via the internet 24 hours a day. A new station, The Voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with The Voice of Islam. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim in the name of Allah the most gracious ever merciful. Welcome back to the breakfast show dear listener. We will now be moving swiftly on to our second segment of the morning. So today is International Mind-Body Wellness Day, a time to recommit to loving both our bodies and minds by putting new strategies for development and wellness into action. So, you know, on the on January the 3rd, as I've mentioned, it's International Mind-Body Wellness Day, um, where our emotions, purpose, spirituality, experiences, goals, belief, etc., all have an important impact on the mind-body and overall health. 
This is why Mind Body Wellness Day is celebrated at the start of the new year to start the new year fresh. And the best-selling author and TEDx speaker and mind body wellness expert Jaya Jaya Myra used holistic methods to heal herself from uh, fibromyalgia, um, anxiety and depression when allopathic medicine failed to help her. And so everything from mindfulness, meditation, diet changes, spirituality, you know, the mindset, purpose and even decor and colours can impact your mental, emotional and physical well-being. So with this in mind... Uh, you know, we are celebrating a a day for you know to looking after our, our bodies as well as our minds, that which is often overlooked. The mind, yes, isn't it? I mean, definitely. Like we, we speak a lot definitely. about physical health and exercise, um, but you know, healthy mind, healthy body. Exactly. So it's, it's uh, the body is a temple. Yeah. Um, so we have to look after that, but at the same time, the the mind is plays a critical role in what happens with our body. So yes, has a huge impact on that as well. I mean, so I mean, we did have a um, uh, we spoke to. Uh, one of our guests um, who who discussed all the you know you know this topic in particular and and you know the action points for that and why we are celebrating it and um, so let's listen to that. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Peace be upon you. We have online with us our guest of the morning, Dr. Sadia Ayaz. How are you doing this morning, Doctor? Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakallah, I'm very well, and um, Jazakallah for inviting me to the program this morning. Thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you on. Just to begin with, could you tell us a bit, uh, a bit more about to our listeners about your role as a GP? Uh, yes, absolutely. So um, my role as a GP is very varied. Um, it's um, uh, very rewarding, I find, and it's a great privilege because we see patients um, sharing so many aspects of their life with us, whether that be medical or psychological or social. Um, they come in with all sorts of problems and um, some might be life-threatening and they have to be sent up to hospital immediately. Others will come in uh, dealing with you know, marital stresses, domestic violence, difficulties um, managing children with behavioural problems. Um, so there's, there's lots of things that we see um, and general practice is usually diverse. Um, we don't have the luxury of diagnostic tools to hand. Um, and we have to rely on listening to patients. We have to try and understand their issues. Patients don't always want answers, but they always want to feel listened to. And that's a very important part, um, I feel, in my role as a GP. Um, I've been in the NHS for many years now. I've got to know my patients well. Um, and I feel that's a huge privilege again for me in being able to share their journey, their medical journey, but also so many other aspects of their life that you become a part of as well. Um, babies I used to do postnatal checks for many years ago now come to see me um, with their parents having started primary school. So um, you, you build these huge connections with your patients um, along the way. Um, the NHS is facing huge challenges, and I think that's something also we, we do talk about a lot. I know on the programs here you've been addressing and many times as well um, and sadly there are lots of mounting pressures there's no quick fix to this there are retention issues morale is low we don't have um, all the resources to um, address and sustain the demands that are upon us at the moment um, but what brings me back to my job I would say every day um, with greater passion and hope is that patients count on us and they they see you as that person they can go to if they've got any problems anything that really sort of worries them that um, they feel they trust you with. Um, and I would also say that for me, general practice is not just a job. Um, it's something that I feel it's a need for me to be able to serve humanity. Um, and I think despite all of what's been going on, um, that 
is what brings me back to it every day, being able to feel that I can do something to help my patients. Definitely, definitely. And would you say there is a link between being physically and mentally healthy? Yes, there's definitely a link between physical health and mental well-being. Um, there's a lot of research that has been done over the years on this, and there's the King's Fund and report that mentioned that around 30% of all people with long-term physical conditions also had mental health problems, such as depression or anxiety. And similarly, mental health problems um, can seriously exacerbate physical illness. Um, physical illnesses, as a result of poor mental health, cost the NHS about 18 billion pounds um, last year. So there's lots of ways in which physical and mental um, health are connected. For example, genetics plays a role. Uh, the genes that make it more likely to develop a mental health problem uh, may also play a part in physical problems. Um, similarly, mental health problems can affect our motivation, our energy levels, and um, to take care of ourselves in ways that can impact our um, physical health negatively. Uh, for example, we might start to eat slightly um, there is risk of substance addiction if we're not looking after our mental well-being, smoking, um, and leading to a sedentary lifestyle. So all of these um, can increase our risk of developing things like heart disease and other related conditions. And sometimes when we're struggling with our mental health, I'll also say that um, we might not also be um, seeking the help and support that we need at a time when we should be. We might not explain yeah. our symptoms properly. We might um, not get to appointments or follow-ups um, when we need to because we don't have that motivation to be able to do so. So certainly the both are very much connected and, and very much linked yes. together. Uh, what are some of the things that we can do, some of the steps that we can take to improve our mental well-being? Um, so there's a lot that we can do and I think when we look at the resources or the information around about mental well-being, um, we find that uh, there was a lot there that actually recommends looking after the physical aspects of our health. Um, it's important to remember that mental well-being is also not something we just address when we are struggling with it or when a problem arises with our mental health, but actually something we should be trying to implement every day in our lives. Life is stressful for all of us. There's lots of responsibilities that we have. Um, but I would say um, it's important to try and, and not forget ourselves in all of that um, and to try and also focus on our needs. Um, Self-care doesn't mean having to give up what we do, but it's about prioritizing and focusing on how we can make ourselves better so that we can give more to others and meet the expectation and demands around us. And I think if we adapt this sort of mindset and focus on mental well-being um, alongside the physical aspects of self-care that most people know about, um, we can try and ensure that we don't burn out, we don't become overwhelmed um, by constant need um, to be there for others. And there's lots of useful um, information. The NHS website has lots of useful tips on looking after our mental well-being. Um, yes. It's important to stay connected with others. It's important to try and find meaning and purpose to what we're doing, you know, building um, uh, connections and learning new skills. And the Amdi Muslim community, uh, which I'm a part of, um, is, is, I think, a great example of how we can build lasting connections with others. Um, it gives us an opportunity to work together towards a common goal. And all of these things actually have a huge positive impact on our mental well-being as well. And screen use, again, is, is a big one. And the use of phones and technologies is something, again, we talk a lot about. Um, and I think on average, um, they say we spend, um, the average person spends about three hours a day on, on their phone. And if we think about how much time that accumulates, um, over a month or over a year, it's time that we could have spent much better elsewhere talking to our families, playing with our children, taking a walk in nature, 
meeting with friends or, or learning new hobbies, all of which actually give us a lot more fulfillment um, than scrolling through social media. Um, and um, uh, I think all of these things are actually very, very important. There's so many others as well that we can yeah. uh, look into, but um, sort of briefly, I would say these are some of the important things that we should just try to focus on. And as this new year comes um, into play and we are in the third day of that to now, um, I think just trying to reflect and remind ourselves of what is important, what are those priorities for us and our goals for the future. And sometimes those small steps and little changes can actually make a huge difference in, in getting us to where we need to be. Definitely, definitely. And you know, us being Muslims as well, there is a narration of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, where it states that al-mu'minul kawiyu, that a strong believer uh, is better than a weak believer. So, you know, being physically strong can also, as we spoke about earlier, is, can also affect your mental well-being as well. So it's good to be physically strong as well. And, uh, you know, moving on to our next question, um, many people, you know, they're getting ill, uh, getting more ill in last winter and this winter. Uh, why do you think that could be and what can we do to remain um, healthy during during the winter? So, so winter illnesses are are very common um, and they're largely attributed to the cold weather. Um, when cold air gets into our, our nasal passage, it can kill almost about 50% of the bacteria-fighting cells there. And even small changes in temperature um, can make this uh, can make us more susceptible to, to getting colds. Um, yes. Colds make it much more difficult for our immune system to fight off illnesses. Um, another reason is that we also spend a lot of time indoors over the winter months, don't we, where um, there is, again, um, a greater risk of viruses spreading more easily. Um, and also the lack of um, sunlight um, over the winter months makes us all more prone to becoming deficient in vitamin D, which also plays a role in helping to strengthen our immune system. So there are a number of reasons why um, we tend to pick up more colds, why there is this huge influx of viruses over the winter months. We're certainly seeing um, a, a much a greater rise in, in, in the NHS um, in regards to um, patients being admitted or attending any departments with influenza or flu virus. Um, we are also seeing um, rising cases of COVID. Um, it still remains an, an uncertain threat, and there are new variants that keep emerging. Um, so it's really important to um, get an influenza vaccine, a flu vaccine every year if you are eligible. Um, for most people, flu will not be an issue, and it will be mild. But for vulnerable people, um, those who are elderly, who are immunocompromised, um, who are pregnant, um, who have an underlying health condition, it can actually be very severe and, and it can even be fatal as well. Um, another common winter virus um, that you may have heard of that we do see more of as well um, over the winter months is RSV. This is a yeah. seasonal virus and more likely to occur in children, but it can also be dangerous in, in children and older adults. It can also lead to um, uh, quite severe um, urinary, uh, respiratory tract infections and also pneumonia yeah. as well. So there are lots of viruses around, but important to be safe, important to be aware of these and take the necessary precautions, um, which again, going back to the basics, things like hand washing is still really important, and um, trying to bring fresh air into the home um, by opening doors and windows when possible, wearing masks in, in a crowded or enclosed space. Um, all of these things can and do make a big difference, and it's important to try and implement these. Um, and everybody should try to evaluate their own risk and take the necessary measures um, to try and um, avoid um, the risk of getting um, these infections because, as we said, for some people, they can actually be much more severe. Yes. So how can we remain motivated, fit and active despite the harsh winter conditions? 
Um, so staying physically active um, is one of the best ways to improve mental and physical well-being. Um, and exercise has to fit into people's lifestyles and be meaningful to them. So it doesn't mean you have to subscribe to expensive gym memberships, um, but try to improve and maintain um, a good level of um, physical activity every day. Um, experts recommend about 150 minutes a week of moderate um, physical activity. But if you can't do that straight away, then at least try and set yourself small goals, even doing 10 or 15 minutes of exercise um, daily. Um, exercising the winter, um, it's important to make sure that you are um, wearing appropriate clothing when going outdoors, such as leggings, gloves, hats, um, and try and set time aside for exercise, So uh, as we do for other things as well. Um, sleep is the other thing that I would say is very important to try and keep us um, mentally and, and physically well over winter. Um, we should aim for seven to nine hours of sleep. That's the recommended amount um, because this helps us stay energized and, and active the next day. Um, and if you can't get out um, for exercise, then also doing things indoors, even things um, that we do in our day-to-day -day activities, housework, for example, um, can also constitute part of your daily physical routine. Uh, you can try and walk faster. Uh, you can uh, use cans of soup or water bottles um, to do strength and resistance exercises. So there's always a way to try and build up your physical stamina. Um, like I said, it, it doesn't mean you, if you can't get out or you um, aren't able to then um, even simple things at home to try and implement your your and increase your physical level of activity is really important because we know that these things do play a really important role in improving our stamina and improving our overall wellness as well. The other thing also I mentioned um, is that we don't get a lot of sunlight over the winter months and we do know that this lack of sunlight or, or lack of light um, does also dampen our mood um, and can lead to seasonal depression. So it's again really important that the few hours of daylight that we get, we do try and make the most of. So trying to keep the curtains open as soon as you get up in the morning, um, trying to get up early also is really helpful. Um, and if you can't get a lot of natural light um, into into your um, home, then even just using an artificial small desk lamp is, is really helpful. The artificial light can also help to stimulate and boost um, our mood. Um, the other thing I would say probably is um, eating healthily. We also know that it's easy um, to binge on unhealthy snacks in front of the telly um, in the winter, but that's not doing us any favours on our mental or physical well-being. Um, taking vitamin D supplement is really important. Um, and having nutrient-rich foods, um, such as fruits, vegetables, lean proteins, all of these things can help to boost our immune system because they contain essential vitamins. Um, and drinking enough water because, again, in the winter, we yeah. might not be doing as much to keep ourselves hydrated, but things like soups, herbal teas, fruits, all of these can, can help to um, ensure that we're getting enough uh, fluid on board. Uh, most definitely, most definitely. Uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning, Dr. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. For now, take care, uh, have a good day, and assalamu alaikum wa peace be upon you. So that was Dr. Uh, Sadia Ayaz, um, who is a GP, a general practitioner, who is also a member of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community as well. And um, some of the points that she raised uh, were very, very key in regards to um, our topic at hand that, um, you know, the mind and the body, they're very intertwined, very interlinked. 
and if your mind isn't in a good state your body can't be either your body can't function even you know this is this might be a, a extreme example someone who is a drug addict when they suffer from um when they don't take drugs for a long time and they suffer from what's the term uh, um, withdrawal symptoms withdrawal symptoms right yeah. their their body essentially shuts down right and um for some people uh, if they have a strong will it can be a bit of uh, mind play at work as well obviously you know it's a chemical reaction as well that your body does shut down but you need to be mentally strong as well to overcome addiction especially if for someone who's who's uh, has a smoke habit to overcome the addiction you need to be very mentally strong as well because obviously the chemicals play a big part as well but if you're not mentally strong enough to overcome your addiction you'll never be able to overcome that so the uh, your mind needs to be healthy in order for your body to work properly as well i think there's a lot of um there's a lot of those kind of therapies out there where yes it's focused a lot on the mind yes. and and you see like how mentally strong people they like even let's give the example of sports yes like um the, the injuries happen all the time in in football for example of course um and then there are those who um you know the doctors they'll say that typically for example a hamstring yes. injury will take so and so months yes. to recover from and usually a lot of the players take take around that long that yes. three to four five months whatever it is and then there's some who are you can see an example i i that comes to mind for me is like um, Zlatan Ibrahimovic hmm. where he would say i will come back and i'll come back even stronger yes. and you see with like like in much earlier than expected they're back already playing again so that mental uh, aspect it seems that that has a big role to play as well in the healing and in the well-being of the body as well um yes. so you know they have they have an effect on one another just as the soul and the body also have an effect on one another as well so i mean it's this it, clear to for everyone to see that you as you said before yes. the mind and the body how they're so intertwined and they're yes. so interlinked and they have this um you know the the the, the well-being the health of the mind affects the the body as well yes. depression is a is a big thing that that you know that people are suffering with yes. um especially in this day and age you know with the age of social media um you can see how people have uh, you know they fall into depression a lot more than they used to in the past and that has an effect on their on their emotional be- well-being and also on their physical well-being yes. people are you know suffering from you know other illnesses that come with that uh, physical ones and you know so you know so as, it, as the more you look after your mind the more you're also looking after your body as well and at the same time if you look after your body like they say if you're in a because your your mind will definitely give up before your body does exactly and yes. so like even if even physical activity is something the dopamine hits that you get from that they affect your your brain so much that you know you feel you start to feel better um automatically so definitely. they they work in parallel and they and, you know and you need to take care of taking care of one takes care of the other uh neglecting one also is is a way of neglecting yes. the, the other you might be aware of this person i think his uh, name is david goggins something no, no, like I'm that i'm not sure no but yeah, what, uh, what does he he's say? Uh, he's like a motiv- motivational speaker and he does like crazy feats as well he's like an athlete oh, really? he does uh, he runs like 2 3 marathons in a row oh my goodness right he's, he's, <laughs> he he's crazy he's, he's and his whole um thing that he preaches is that you know your mind will always break before your body does and if you can train your mind to become strong your body can accomplish many great feats that's really interesting actually yeah. because uh i remember the days that i used to run yeah there were there were people who'd come up to me and say how do you keep going how do you keep going yeah. like and i said just just tell yourself you're not going to give up you're never going to stop don't stop no matter yeah. how much pain you're feeling yeah you can get through it you push through it and that's something that i didn't realize back then but 
it was really affecting the way that I was able to do stuff. Yes. And, you know, to continue to run like even half yes. marathons, let's just yes. say, whatever we were doing at the time when we were students. Yes. And um, those uh, annual um, walks or annual annual runs that they used to have, you could run it as well. I'd look at that and I'd say, I'm going to do all this and I'm not going to stop once. You were one of the runners, right? I was one of the runners. (laughs) I used to win it when I wasn't injured. But that was, I think that mental strength that I had back then is what got me through it. But otherwise, there were lots of people who were very capable physically definitely, as well, and definitely. they could have they could have beaten me if it was just on based on that. Definitely. So, yeah. You know, now that we're talking about this, has made me realize yeah. that maybe that's one of the key aspects to to success as well. Yes. And you know, you we see this in situations as well where you also like get a adrenaline rush as well in certain situations where yeah. there's been stories of like mothers lifting cars yeah. uh, of their children or yeah. you know performing feats that would literally be impossible. Seem to defy reality. Yeah, like, well, exactly. What was possible, but it's just that in that moment as well, especially that you're just telling your mind that you know you you have to step up. Yeah, you you have to do this. There's no other way you out. Don't question it. You, yeah, you have exactly. to look after your child. You have exactly. to save them, and exactly. you do whatever you can. You put yeah. your life on the line. Yeah, and that in itself like unlocks potential. <laughs> that you never exactly, knew you had. <laughs> it's basically superpowers essentially. <laughs> you know. So today we're celebrating that we're trying to. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, dear listener, you're listening to this and. Uh, you know, if you're if you're going through a tough time, or you know, if you feel that you're not motivated to uh, to get up and do some exercise, just think about the you know the impact it will have on both um, your mind and on your on your and on your body. And you know, this will hopefully you'll see that looking after one will then look yes. after the other, whichever you're suffering with. So, uh, in in regards to this, um, what Islam's uh, teachings are. Um, in the childhood of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, yeah. um, he would enjoy, you know, uh, physical activities as well, such as, you know, before uh, his uh, f- first rele- revelation, he used to enjoy um, sh- sheep herding, flocks of sheep. And he'd visit, he'd visit the cave Hira as well, wouldn't yes. he? Yes, and that was a big, like a, l- a very long, arduous walk that he would have to do as well. Um, and, um, you know, this was, there, there weren't any stairs around at the time. No. Right, where, where, the, the, yeah, exactly. It's just <laughs> literally just climbing mountains, and the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He enjoyed hiking, swimming, and archery as well. And it has been narrated um, in in a narration of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him that he participated in walking or running races with his wife as well, um, uh, with his wife uh, Hazrat Aisha. May Allah be pleased with her. Another one was uh, horse riding as well. It's very, yes, with his camel riding with his yes. horse with his mules. That in itself is a very um, big skill to learn, definitely, but also the physical definitely. activity that comes with it is also very important. And, you know, even if we take uh, prayer, salat uh, in, in, into yeah. play as well, there's many different physical aspects of that as well. The movements that we do uh, co- uh, commit in salat, the prostration bowing. or bowing down yeah. as well, you know, it's, it's as if uh, it's like a spiritual yoga type thing in in yoga they include yeah. these positions as well and they're very calming for the for the body as well and i think they target different muscles sets yeah. of muscles as well um, in the different positions that you do go into prayer so in the way that you're you know exercising not just your spirituality but also your body definitely definitely i mean like um this whole as i said the before i alluded to the fact that it's not just the 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 mind which is connected to the body, but also yes. we believe in Islam that the soul that, that we are created with, that has a very deep link with the body as well. So that's the reason why, when you have, you know, a physically clean body, yes. you also feel spiritually clean as well. Yes, and that is why the the ablution also takes place uh, before every prayer Definitely. that we do uh, offer. 
that that spirit that physical cleansing that we're doing is not just spirit, uh, physical. Yes, there's also a metaphorical spiritual meaning behind that as well. When you clean your hands, it's as if you're washing away the sins that you've committed with your hands, Definitely. with your uh, with your face and with your you know the ears and the mouth. All of those things as if you're you're spiritually cleansing yourself as well. Whatever. Um, you know spiritual ailments that you've had you uh, per se in terms of the actions that we do have um, that we do that we do throughout the day and we're unaware of sometimes some of the Ill, some of the the bad deeds sometimes that we do or the things that we may say that may have hurt others yes. so in a way we're kind of refreshing ourselves from all that and that's five at least five times a day that we're doing that yes in Islam so we'll be ending this uh, topic with an extract of the promised Messiah peace be upon him um, in the philosophy of the teachings of Islam he states that it should be understood that according to the Holy Quran, the natural state of man is intimately related to his moral and spiritual states. So much so that even his eating and drinking habits affect his moral and spiritual states. That is why the Holy Quran emphasizes the physical cleanliness and physical moderation for prayers, inner cleanliness and devotions. After careful consideration, one concludes that this is true that this is the true philosophy and the physical organs have great effect on the soul. That is exactly what we were discussing in today's topic. So dear listener, we are coming to a conclude to today's show. Um, I would just like to you know, thank the producer, Munib Mirza, the trainee producer, Maria Sheikh, and the lead producer, Hanya and Khola, and our researchers, Arisha Ahmed, Maida Mubashra, Jazaba Khan, and our technical department Armagan Ahmed and my co-presenter brother Nuruddin Jangir. for now dear listener have a good morning assalamu alaikum warahmatullah and peace be upon you the conditions of initiation bed in the Ahmadiyya Muslim community by Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of Qadian the promised messiah peace be upon him the initiate shall solemnly promise one that he or she shall abstain from shirk, association of any partner with God, right up to the day of his or her death. Two, that he or she shall keep away from falsehood, fornication, adultery, trespasses of the eye, debauchery, dissipation, cruelty, dishonesty, mischief and rebellion, and will not permit himself or herself to be carried away by passions, however strong they might be. 3. That he or she shall regularly offer the five daily prayers in accordance with the commandments of God and the Holy Prophet and shall try his or her best to be regular in offering the Dhajjud and invoking the Rood on the Holy Prophet that he or she shall make it his or her daily routine to ask forgiveness for their sins, to remember the bounties of God and to praise and glorify Him. 4. That under the impulse of any passions, he or she shall cause no harm whatsoever to the creatures of Allah in general and Muslims in particular, neither by his or her tongue, nor by his or her hands, nor by any other means. 5. That he or she shall remain faithful to God in all circumstances of life, in sorrow and happiness, adversity and prosperity, in felicity and trial, and shall in all conditions remain resigned to the decree of Allah and keep himself or herself 
ready to face all kinds of indignities and sufferings in his way, and shall never turn away from it at the onslaught of any misfortune. On the contrary, he or she shall march forward. 6. That he or she shall refrain from following un-Islamic customs and lustful inclinations and shall completely submit himself or herself to the authority of the Holy Quran and shall make the word of God and the sayings of the Holy Prophet the guiding principle in every walk of his or her life. 7. That he or she shall entirely give up pride and vanity and shall pass all his or her life in humbleness, cheerfulness, forbearance,